I love Palm Sunday. You know, as long as we have a church, I hope we continue to to do that, to incorporate the kids. Well, if you're new to church or you grew up at a church where you didn't see something like this, this comes from an account that we find in the scriptures. And those that have your Bibles, let's take a look at it. John 12 is one of the places you can find it. John 12, starting with verse 12. Um, as we're opening our Bibles, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free. We always keep a stack of them in the back, and whether it's this visit or a future visit, if you ever want to take one, you don't have to sign anything, you don't have to um, let us know, just just take one. We'd love to, to give you that as a gift. All right, here's this Palm Sunday, the first Palm Sunday as uh, recorded in the book of John, chapter 12, starting with verse 12. The next day, a large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it's written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So there's where we find one of the accounts of this this day that we now commemorate as Palm Sunday. Now, Leading up to this event, Jesus, by this time, had created quite a buzz. Jesus spoke with an authority that no one else spoke with, and people picked up on that. Jesus cast out demonic manifestations, which no one else knew, what do you do with this? Jesus fed thousands of hungry people, we read, from just a little bread and some fish. Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead, it is written of him. And it even is written that, that the wind and the waves obeyed this man. So it's understandable that there would be a buzz. And it's especially understandable that this buzz would happen during this, we read in our account, this feast, this special time in, in Jerusalem. It was a, a especially true of that time. Because Jesus was also a descendant of the great King David. And there were prophets of old who predicted that there was going to be a descendant of King David who was going to come, and when he came, things would be restored the way that, 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 that Israel had, um, had once uh, experienced God's presence and his, his power, that there'd be a chosen one who would come. And so as Jesus drew near to the epicenter of Judea, Judaism, let me try that again. As Jesus drew near to the epicenter of Judaism, he drew near at the precise time, at the precise time that the Jews were about to commemorate their great exodus from slavery in Egypt. That's what this feast that they were celebrating. And so the people grabbed palm branches. Now, when they grabbed palm branches, they weren't just grabbing something nearby. There was a specific messaging that that represented. And I'm sure, just like any symbol today, that there were some that believed certain things. But there was was an overarching symbolic nature to these, these palm branches. And certainly, as people in America, we get logos, right? We get symbolism. We get that people use branding. Here's just... Play with me here. Here's, here's one symbol. You see that symbol and it represents something, right? It doesn't just represent the color yellow. What does this represent? McDonald's. And when McDonald's has you see that logo, they want you to think of certain things that you're to associate with that logo. Here's another logo. There's no words. We see this black splotch, but we recognize this as a logo from Nike. And Nike, when they have you see that, Nike wants you to, to think certain thoughts and certain pieces of clothing and all this kind of stuff associated with that symbol. Here's another logo. This is from where? Mercedes-Benz. Mercedes would love for you to associate luxury and, and, and fine craftsmanship um, with that logo. Here's another. 
Anyone recognize that one? Starbucks. I, the first service I said, what does this represent? Someone yells out, expensive coffee. <laughs> they want you, when you see that logo, they want you to think of, of delicious coffee. They want you to think of great atmosphere. Um, so much so that you'd pay a lot per cup. Now, how about this? What does this represent? Apple. And is this having to do with selling fruit? No, 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 no. They want you to associate certain products um, and a certain quality and a certain user experience with that. And I got I put this one up. Our own homegrown Target. Target would love when you see that circle to not think of shooting somebody, but to think of, or some Target, but to think of, of, of a place where you can get uh, all kinds of products at a great price. So, so there's these logos. We get this. We get this in America. We get that certain symbols stand for certain things. So far, everyone with me? All right. The palm branch is a symbol. And just as these different symbols we put up on the screen you know, are going to represent slightly different things to slightly different people, there was a large group of folks in that time, at that place where we just read, when they thought of this symbol, they thought of Jewish nationalism. This was a, this was a sign for, for their nation, for their country, from, from this, this group of people who believed that God was with them. When the Hebrew people regained control of their temple during the time of the Maccabees, somebody that we had spoke about some time ago here, palm branches, they were used in the temple's rededication. During two major wars against Rome, Israelite rebels illegally minted coins. And when they illegally minted the coins, what did they put on them? They put palm branches on them. So Jerusalem, they're celebrating this feast. It was a festival called Passover. And this is a time when, when Jesus is coming in, this is a time when Rome, the occupying force, when Rome put their soldiers on high alert. High alert. It's important to know that. Not only was the city at this time overflowing with Jewish pilgrims, many in the Jewish community believed that this was the time during some Passover that God was going to send his chosen one. God was going to send his Messiah. And from one of the sources I looked at, they said there were some zealots that in preparation, in hopes that maybe this would be the year that he would come, they had a stash every Passover of palm branches. So if he did come, we'd be ready. We can wave our flag at this time. So this is a, this is a big deal for people to pull out palm branches. It's not just a happy celebration. It, it, it's, it's a declaration of independence. You know, I, I was trying to think of some kind of parallel, and I can't find an exact one. The closest I could come up with in my head was that the first Palm Sunday was akin to, to being at the time of World War II, being a Jewish person at a Hitler rally and holding up the Star of David flag. I mean, that is, that's closer to, 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 to what was going on than, than any other illustration I could think of in my head. Because last week we talked about this. We talked last week how that region was under the control of Rome. And Rome was under the control of, a, of Caesar Augustus. And Caesar said, I am in control. I don't just have the rulership that comes with my position. I'm a god. So I have absolute authority. I have absolute rule. And here on this Palm Sunday, this first Palm Sunday, we've got a direct challenge to that. We have a declaration of independence. Now, John records that when the people heard Jesus was coming, so here we're setting us up, they heard Jesus was coming, they took palm branches, and they went out to meet him. And when they did, they started quoting scripture. They started quoting from what we now call the Old Testament, from the book of Psalms. Here I want to do, what I want to put up on the screens now is two parallel passages, so you can see how similar what they said was to what they could find in their scriptures. We have Psalm 118 up at the top, 
part of Psalm 118. And at the bottom, we have John 12, which we just read from. Look at how these line up almost word for word. When Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, they grab the palm branches, they start shouting, and, and, and they, they're echoing this, this psalm that was written hundreds of years before. That Psalm 118 says, Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in John 12, 13, at least the first part of it, we read that they were shouting Hosanna, which means what? Save us. So, so far, it's save us. Same thing as Psalm 118. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, so far, so good. They see Jesus. They're, they're, they're quoting scripture. And Jesus was doing this in fulfillment of the scripture. But then what they do is they go off script. Instead of completing what Psalm 118 says, they decide to just go off a little bit. So Psalm 118, verse 26 continues, we bless you from the house of the Lord. John 12, 13 continues, not with we bless you, Romans, but Jesus is the king of Israel. Oh, do you catch the significance of that? They go off script and they say, Jesus is the king of Israel. I don't think I'm going out on a limb, pun intended, to say that those who grabbed palm branches, they weren't interested in blessing Rome. They weren't interested in saying, let's bless Caesar, blessings to you from the house of the Lord. They said, hey, this is our guy. And he's the king. He's the king of Israel. Their eyes, at least the eyes of many, were fixed on the hope that Jesus had, had, a, had a kingdom that was going to be an earthly kingdom. That he would unite God's people, summon God's power, and then drive Caesar out of the land that had been promised to Abraham and his descendants. And it's interesting to note, this isn't the first time that Jesus was called the king of Israel or the king of the Jews. In fact, there were people that ascribed that to him from the time of his birth. There were some magi from the east. We, we hear at the Christmas time, right? Magi from the east. And they came and they said, where is he who is born the king of the Jews? And when the powers that be heard those words, did they, were they really excited about that? No. What did they want to do to that king of the Jews? They want to kill him. And here, once again, people say, here's the king of Israel, king of the Jews. Here he is. And what did the powers want to do to him? They wanted to kill him. In fact, they did later that week. And when they did kill him and they hung him on a cross, what sign did they put above his head? Sign that read, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. So, so here Jesus is killed. He, he, he comes in, triumphal entry. People are shouting. They think this king is going to physically, militarily deliver us. Come on, we even got the palm branches. Here we go. And yet he ends up dying, and Rome still rules. You know, Jesus, he rarely conforms to our expectations, does he? He rarely conforms to our expectations. You, you know, something struck me for the first time, and I don't know why it was the first time that it struck me this week. What happens when you detach a palm branch from a palm tree? What happens to that palm branch? It starts to die. And we can do this. We can do the exact thing that they do. What they did is they took partial truth. They took partial scripture. They took concepts, but then they broke it off from the tree, and this thing came to represent something that was slightly off from the truth. That, that Jesus, his kingship was an earthly kingship, that his kingship was a us-versus-them kingship, that his kingship was one where he was going to destroy his enemies the way we think that they should be destroyed. And so they, they, they slightly twist, deviate from what God wanted, and in slightly doing that, they got way off track. 
And they began waving a palm branch. And that palm branch no longer meant what, what, what God's intent was. That palm branch begins to die. I find it interesting that John is the only one that mentions specifically that these are palm branches. All four, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, mentioned this event. Only John says there were palm branches. It's interesting that John, just a little while later, says this. Well, actually, isn't John saying this. This is John, eyewitness. He heard these words from Jesus. He records these words from Jesus. He remembers Jesus saying this a little bit later. I am the vine. This is in John 15, starting with verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in them, they bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from me, you break off from the vine. You break off from the tree. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, they're thrown away like a branch. Like an old Palm Sunday branch. And it withers. Withers away. Now, for me anyway, it's not hard to find... to. It's not hard for me to put myself in their spot and think, I probably would have been thinking the same things they were thinking. Because you can go to the Old Testament, or what we call the Old Testament now, you can look at the scriptures they had, and you can see verse after verse after verse after verse where when people turned to God, he delivered them in a military way. That he defeated their enemies in a physical way. It's not hard to get off track. It's not hard to think that what you're doing is exactly what God wants you to do and to have expectations of this is exactly what God should do. This is exactly what God should say. This is exactly how he should respond. It's not hard to do that. What they did is something that we do all the time. We do all the time. We sever our connection to the vine often without even knowing it. Without even knowing it. To this day, you know, let's just draw a direct parallel. To this day, do people ever claim that God is on their side? You know, they may not wave a palm branch, but they wave their country's flag. God is on our side. Or they'll wave their political party's logo. God is on our side. Or they'll take a particular title or an emblem that they've chosen for their cause and say, God is on our side. That is a dangerous anthem. Because that anthem is a slippery slope to some dark places. They're all bad, we're all good. We know the truth. They don't know the truth. In contrast to a palm branch that we either knowingly or unknowingly detach from the rest of the plant, look what it says in Psalms. So this is Psalm 82, or Psalm 92, verse 12 says this, the righteous, and again, righteous is not goody-goody. Righteous is right, right. The righteous will flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The righteous remain attached to the tree. The righteous remain attached to the source of roots and nourishment and, and all those things. If the Bible is real, if the God of the Bible is real, then he's going to have perspective that we don't. He's going to know things that we don't know. He can see things that we can't see. The most important thing that a God seeker can do is to seek the God who is and not the God that we expect should be. As soon as we make that shift, when we start to put expectations, and here's, here's what God is like rather than here's what God reveals himself as, we can get into trouble big time, big time. The early Christians could have adopted a number of symbols for their faith. They didn't choose a palm branch. They didn't choose a golden crown. They didn't choose a double-edged sword. All symbols that you can find in what we now consider the scriptures. Here's the symbol that emerged as the primary emblem of the Christian faith. There's our brand. A cross.
that's our brand. And it's interesting to note that the cross has become the most widely recognized symbol in the world. McDonald's is working hard at taking that number one spot. But so far, it's the most widely recognized symbol in the world. It marks more graves. It graces more jewelry. It sits atop more houses of worship than any other design. You can see the sign of the cross in basilicas. You can see it on baseball diamonds. You can see it in Rocky movies. It, it's, it, the sign is everywhere. Uh, the thing is, it doesn't obviously mean the same thing to everyone, but it's, it's a symbol that has stood the test of time. What an interesting choice for a logo. What an interesting choice for a symbol. When the crowd cheered and waved their palm branches on what we now commemorate as Palm Sunday, did Jesus get that fist pump? And he's like, yes, you got it. You got it. I am on your side. I am here to make your dreams come true. Not a trick question. No, (laughs) he didn't. In fact, if you read the account as recorded by Luke, what did Jesus do as he got close to Jerusalem? He, He wept because they didn't get it. They had picked this symbol that was a symbol of their dreams, what they wanted, what they expected God to do. That's what the symbol that was that they picked. Whereas the symbol that emerged, and I believe through the Holy Spirit, was a symbol of a cross where you die to your own dreams and God gives you ones that are good, real good. If you would, if you could pull out inside your bulletin, there should be a, a sheet here. And I'd encourage you to write this down because this wasn't just true for them. This isn't, we're not just reading something that had only a um, application for those people at that time. But this is something that happens to us all the time. It's easier to pick up a palm branch than it is to take up your what? Your cross. This was true for them. It's true for us. It's easier to pick up a palm branch than it is to take up your cross. And this isn't just true for them. It wasn't just true for us. We see hints that that this was somewhat true for Jesus himself. On the eve of his betrayal, we read in the book of John that he went to a garden. Jesus went to a garden to pray. This is on the night of his betrayal, on the eve of his his crucifixion. Jesus goes to a garden, and and we read this here in John chapter 18, verse 1. Jesus, after he'd spoken these words, he went out with his disciples, crossed the brook Kidron, which was right outside of the the city there. Uh, There was a garden, and his disciples entered that garden. And in that garden, we, we read that Jesus asked, you know, Father, is, there, is, is it possible for this cup, this thing that I know is coming, this crucifixion, this cross, is it possible that that could pass from me? And I tell you, we would be tempted to ask that question. And some of us might be tempted to say, hey, why not lead the revolution? Why not get some of these zealots? They're there. Jesus, with his charisma at that, in that tinderbox, with, with his ability to... to call forth these signs. You know, Jesus could have led that rebellion and people would have followed him. People would have followed him into battle. Let's do it. Let's kick these guys out so we can start fresh and and we can have freedom of religion. Let's do it. Well, Jesus knew that wasn't the salvation that the people needed. Jesus also could have taken the movement underground. He could have said, you know, it is just too much evil, too much hostility. This is just... We're going to just continue to cause trouble here. So let's just meet in little communities. Let's isolate ourselves from the rest of the world. Let's just not be so public with what we believe. He could have done that, but Jesus knew that this was a light that he had brought. This is a light that's supposed to shine. 
You can't shine that if you're hidden. Jesus could have you know, made a decision to, to just collaborate, to just compromise. You know, we, we see that when he was before Pilate, the authority in that region, Pilate really, I mean, he had Pilate's ears. Pilate was ready to let him go. What if? What if Jesus just toned things down a little bit, compromised here and there, you know, worked with the system? Think about that. Now you've got Pilate, you've got your influencer to the influencer, you know. But Jesus wouldn't conform to the patterns of this world. So Jesus, he said, Father, is there any other way? And there was great resolve behind Jesus' words when he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Great resolve. He said, not my will, but yours, Father, be done. So one question before we go any further. Just answer it in your head. Have you ever done that? Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Here, are, here it is. All chips, all in. Here's my life. Here are my dreams. Not my will, but yours be done. Here are my ambitions. Here are my goals. Here is everything that I call mine. It's all in, not my will, but yours be done. Have you ever done that? We'll come back to that question. Next thing I would want you to write down is is this, and that is temptation is part of the human experience. If you're feeling guilty or, or whatever right now, I just want to know this is t- the temptation to not go all in It is part of the human experience. And failing at the trials and tests that come our way is part of the human experience. Also, also, the story of the human race also began in a garden. And in that garden, the first man, Adam, he had a world of opportunities. He's placed in this this wonderful creation. He's got all kinds of opportunities, all kinds of possibilities. And, And God says, you know, don't eat of this tree over here. You know, face out here. Look at all these options. Look at all these possibilities. There's this whole world to you. Don't eat of this fruit over here. What'd they do? He and his wife, they detached a piece of fruit from the tree. And when they separated the forbidden fruit from its branch, their decision to go their own way severed the relationship that they once had with God. And what seemed like a good idea at the time had consequences that we're still feeling today. So it's not unique to you. Temptation is not unique to you. And failure is not unique to you. So I'd encourage you to write this down because this is where the good news starts to come in here. The good news is not you're going to be tempted and you're going to fail. That's not good news. Good news is part of it anyway. You don't have to face the trials alone. You don't have to face them alone. The Bible likens Jesus to a new Adam. He is one who faced temptation in a garden, and Jesus overcame it. Instead of choosing disobedience, Jesus chose the way of righteousness every time. And that good news keeps getting better. Please write this down as well. Not only do you have to not, not only do you not have to face trials alone, the very spirit of Christ is available to those who follow Jesus. The spirit that was in Christ is available to those who follow him now. So that not only is it, it's not just you and your willpower trying to say no to these things, the Spirit of Christ is available to you. The Spirit that overcame. The same Spirit that was in Christ, and Christ passed the test that we've all failed, that same Spirit to choose righteousness over disobedience, who never detached the branch from the tree, that same Spirit that was in Christ can dwell in us, cleansing us of our sin, empowering us with supernatural gifts, helping us to discern God's will with greater frequency and clarity, 
helping us become more and more like Christ. Why would we not want that? Because our palm branches, our palm branches, either they seem too wonderful or they, they cloud our vision. You know, I think about, there's a palm branch that, I, that so many people I know have, have said. I know so many people who said, God wants me to be happy. You know, that's a dangerous anthem. Because often we don't know what really will make us happy. And sometimes things that will bring short-term happiness bring long-term unhappiness. And for some people, that, that banner, they, they think, well, okay, there's, God wants to bless, right? God, God loves us, right? Okay, so they grab this branch, they take it off the tree, and they've got this branch. God wants me to be happy, and it just clouds things. And they can't see truth like they otherwise could. Because sometimes the path to what we really want is a path that takes sacrifice. And sometimes there's things that, that God can do in us to bring something beautiful on the other side that's going to feel very uncomfortable. And I mean, all of us know, right? The things that are the most worth pursuing... Take sacrifice to get there. And so some people, they wave this banner, God wants me happy. And it clouds their vision from finding what they really want. You know, I, I know other people, so many other people, who, who, are, who are skeptical of the faith. And, and they say things in different words. They say something to the effect of, well, if, if God would just prove to me that he's real, then there wouldn't be an issue. You're taking the branch off the tree and it's going to cloud your vision because no one can convince you of anything if you don't take the facts at face value. If you come with a skeptical mindset instead of an exploring truth, seeking truth mindset, you're going to be clouded. And all these signs that are everywhere, you're not going to see them because your vision is clouded by a palm branch that you're waving in front of your own face. There are doctrinal branches that, that, that cause all sorts of division among us as God's people. I, you know, I look at the children's home where we were this last week. None of us could have built that thing on our own. Not them, not any one of the churches, not any, but together. When God's people lay down things that don't have to divide us, so much can happen. There, there are people, there are people, they call themselves Christians and they can't pray with another Christian because of some belief about what happens precisely in communion. Yeah. Really? There are also branches, and these are really dangerous ones, they disguise themselves as harmless or even as blessings. There are some things that people would say, oh, I've been blessed with. And no, you weren't blessed with that. That's from the pit. And there's other things that seem harmless, but they can become an idol. In fact, right, starting right after Easter, we're going to do a series called High Places. Back in the old day, the high places used to be easy to see. They were up high. They were on the top of the mountain. They would set up a temple or, or, or an altar to some different god. And God said, you know, there's only one god. I'm him. You can't have these other high places. But people would still put up these high places anyway. We all have high places. We all do. They're just harder to see now. And something that could be good may be an idol in your life that's keeping you from what God would have for you. So there's all of these palm branches, all these things that usually have a partial truth to them, but we detach it from the whole truth and it, it becomes something dangerous. Well, the Spirit of Christ is available to all of us. 
And the way to experience more of the indwelling and transforming power of the Holy Spirit is to willingly follow Jesus to the cross. To lay down our branches and willingly follow him to the cross. The cross is a big deal in the scriptures. I came across this quote a long time ago. Love it. The Gospels, meaning the first four books of the Bible, of the New Testament, the books that tell the narrative of Jesus, the Gospels can be thought of as passion narratives with extended introductions. Love that, and it's true. Um, You've got, most scholars would say you have roughly a three-year span where Jesus did his ministry. Three years. You've got three years to work with. Why is it, if you've got three years to work with it, why, why do all the Gospels spend disproportionate amount of time on his last days? Because the cross is a big deal. The cross is a big deal. This is where we find the new life is in the cross. The Gospels can be thought of as passion narratives with extended introductions. The Bible testifies Jesus was more than a good man. He was more than a wise teacher. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed that those who put their faith in him will have their sins forgiven, that they receive power from above, they'll be witnesses to the world. If you detach the good teachings of Jesus from that, you're going to have branches. You're going to have palm branches. Because Jesus was more than just a good teacher. And one of the promises of the Easter season, one of the reasons we celebrate Easter the way we do, is that Jesus promises that we too can experience a resurrection of our own. But it comes, if you do this, and here's the last thing we want to encourage you to write down today. Here's how it comes. You can't follow Jesus out of the tomb until you follow Jesus to the cross. That resurrection, that new life that we have in Christ, it doesn't come until you follow Jesus to the cross. It's just what we do. It's, it's just what we do as Christians. There, much has been made of a, of a young man named Jim Elliott. While Jim Elliott was still in his 20s, he literally gave up his life for his faith. He literally gave it up. And he was immortalized for making this remark, this quote, He is no fool who gives what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. Recently, I read um, about his wife, and it appears as though his, her, his wife was taken back by how much attention he received after his death. Because she said, why is everyone so surprised that a follower of Jesus would, would do what Jesus did? Why, why is it so surprising that a Christian wouldn't lay down his life just as his master had done before him? You know, it wasn't until I was a teenager where I began to understand this, that that's what Christianity is. Christianity is not going to religious services. Christianity isn't something that you're just, you know, born into. There's, 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 there's a surrender that's a part of it. There's a yielding of your life to following Jesus. You know, and you, if you're around here any length of time, you'll hear me reflect back on, on my moment where, where I, I consciously said, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. And I'll tell you, it was hard. It was hard. For me, I look back and there were two big branches that just felt like, oh, I have to let these go. There was the dating branch. I had loved the fact. The partial truth, love the fact that God made women. <laughs> you know, in my case, girls, you know, love that part. But then there was the whole, yep, and here's how you treat them in a way that, that honors me and them. That part I didn't like so much, you know. So there's that branch. It's, oh, if I'm going to be all in, then there's that. And then the other branch, which even was bigger at the time, because it was graduating from high school, that year there was the branch of career. You know, I love the idea that, that God 
gives people abilities to go out and, and make a difference and, and, and earn money and, and these things. But I didn't like the idea that was emerging that God was saying, here's the vocation I have for you. And I remember being on, a, on the border there. I was on a, it wasn't a garden, but it was a, a rocky hilltop right on the border of El Paso and Juarez. And I'm up on that rocky, and that was my garden. You know, will you do it? Will you surrender everything? You know, as best you can as an 18-year-old. And I remember thinking at the time, okay, I'll do it, but man, this is a big cross to bear, God. Date like you want me to date. You're kidding me, you know. Go into the career, work for churches. Are you kidding me? Oh, I remember how heavy that felt. Yeah, well, fast forward to this week. And this week on Tuesday, I had a chance with my family to sit up on the rooftop some of you have been on the rooftop of Emmanuel Children's Home. How many have been on the rooftop of Emmanuel Children's Home? Look at that. Been up there at night, right? You know, and so here I'm up there at night. And we had just tucked in some of the girls at the home. And when we tucked in the girls, I'm looking around. I was reminded that 20 years ago, one of our teams built that dorm. And I look back on, on my decision to say, okay, God, I'll give you my career. And it's like, you know, how, how, how foolish was I to think that was a heavy cross? Because if I wouldn't have chosen to follow after God, I would just be pursuing things. I would, have, I would have been really successful at irrelevance. I would have been really successful at, you know, gathering things that I can't keep and that no one really cares if I have them or not, except when I die because they want them, you know? And so I would have been great at that. But instead, God allowed me to be a part of something better. Something better! Something I can look back and go, this is cool. This is cool. So that was part of this experience of sitting on the roof. And then I'm sitting there next to my wife. And if I hadn't said to God, okay, I'll date the way you want me to date, we would have never been together. And the wrong person that I would have chose, oh, that would have been a rough, rough place to be. And then I'm up there with my kids. And my kids started looking out. It was at night, and you can tell exactly where the U.S. is and where Juarez is. And my kids are saying things like, why, why do people not share more? And my kids are saying things like, you know, why are people so happy here when they don't have as much? As a dad, I'm just sitting back going, wow. And then they said something like, goofy or whatever. But, but we're having this moment, you know? And parents, you know, you got to savor the moment when you got the moment, right? So, so here's the deal. If Were it not for me taking up that cross, which seems so heavy, which was really a salvation, I would have never, if we're not for that, if we're not for laying that, I wouldn't have these pictures in our family album, or on my phone, I guess, as the case would be. There's my daughter, Andra. There she is with Marcella. We would not have that. There's Emma and Adit. You know, and here's our family with both of these. These girls that are a part of our life that we, we sponsor. You, there are photos. There are memories. There are experiences that God wants you to have that are so much better, so much better, qualitatively different than the ones you will have apart from him. It is a trade up. As the worship team comes forward, because we're going to close with a, a, a song that I, that I hope can be a declaration for you, I want to put a passage up on the screen. One last passage. It's interesting that John, the only one to mention palm branches, um, with the triumphal entry, John also sees palm branches in a vision. And this vision isn't something that was going to happen 
um, here during history as we know it, but it was going to happen in the life to come. And look what he sees. He looks and behold, there is a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. It isn't a, I'm waving the palm branch and it's just me, you know? It's just us. It's the, those who are with us. It's everyone who's a follower of Jesus standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They're clothed in white robes and they have palm branches in their hands. And they're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on our throne and to the Lamb. I, mean, I want to I be there with you guys for that. When we understand and we're not detached, when we understand what it means that he's the king. And when we can experience a kingdom where he rules it completely. Because as good as it gets here on earth, when we follow God and we're part of his kingdom, as good as it gets on earth, the life to come, this is just a shadow of that. So let's, let's pray. Am I, I'm seeing the basket says this, we didn't pass. And we did or we didn't. Okay. So here's an opportunity for you really to respond, right? Um <laughs> We don't, we don't play those games. Um, we forget things, but we don't play those games. As we close our service, I, I do want you to respond. And first and foremost, the way we want you to respond is to, to, to pray these songs. It's a simple song that we've sung many times. I will follow you. Would, you. would you pray that to God through there? Even if you're not sure what it means, well, none of us fully know what it means. But in this moment, God, will I surrender fully to you? And, and as palm branches come to mind, things that you need to let go of, would you do that? Would you just say, God, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to let it all go? I'm going to follow you, unencumbered. You know, would you do that either for the first time or the first time again? And at, during this time, baskets will pass, and if you bought a financial offering, then you can also um, put that in there too. Let's pray. Father, we do um, pray. And we come to you, and, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you descend on us and that you would bring to mind anything that we should let go of so that we can follow you fully, and some of these are going to be things that we let go of that you allow us to pick up later, but now in a redeemed state. Lord, help us to fully surrender to you, Holy Spirit. Help us to trust you enough to grant you our hearts and our minds and our lives so that we can be ready for Easter this year and we can celebrate in a new way a new life. Bless also these financial gifts that we give to you, Father, just as you've done in the past. Continue to use them for your plans and your purposes in building the kingdom that will last. In Jesus' name.